the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the app, you're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thank you for tuning in. Kind of cloudy, some sun today, beautiful day, very mild. Getting chilly tonight, 33 to low. Sunny tomorrow, high 47. Sunday, cloudy, a couple showers possible, especially later in the day, and a high of 48. Flyers 1-2-1 over Edmonton in overtime last night. Kevin Hayes with its 15th goal on the year. Carter Hart, 34 saves in the win. They're home tomorrow afternoon at 12-30 against Nashville. Sixers home tonight against the Knicks at 7-30. Uh, they did make a trade with Matisse Thibel, who I love that name, and he uh, and the guy, I had a chance to be on a couple of Zoom calls with him. He has been traded to Portland in a three-way deal, which is going to bring Jalen McDaniels from Charlotte. He and Thibel are about the same age, each bring a little bit uh, something different to the team, so we'll miss Matisse, but we'll also welcome Jalen McDaniels to town, see if they can help the Sixers out. And, of course, the big deal this coming Sunday, the Eagles in Kansas City in Super Bowl 57, 6.30 kickoff. We have a special fun contest, uh, kind of just a little survey on our homepage you can go to. Who's going to win the game? What's the score going to be? And what's your favorite snack or party food? Uh, we'll give away some gift cards randomly just for entering, and there's actually a grand prize for the person with the most accurate prediction. So help yourself uh, to our little big game survey at WFIL.com. As far as the Super Bowl goes, Hassan Reddick, one of the cool stories, Victoria, right? He's a he's a local guy. He yes, went, yes. He went to ha- uh, Haddon Heights High School. Yes, they're and- rivals with Audubon where I went. Wow, okay. And we know a mutual person, but I won't get into all that. Well, maybe yeah. you'll play in the Super Bowl one day. Uh, I don't think so, okay. but I like watching it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> he went on to play at Temple drafted by the Arizona Cardinals and, of course, the Super Bowl being played in Arizona. So you kind of talked about uh, that that full circle kind of deal. Most definitely, man. You're talking about, you know, playing for a Super Bowl in the same stadium for a team, you know, that basically let me go, man. And there's no hard feelings towards that, but that's how it, that's what it is, basically. And, you know, I'm just glad that I'm in this position, man. I'm glad that it worked out this way because, man, is it a full circle moment. This week I had time to reflect on the journey and how I got here, man. It's all crazy, for real. Like, being picked one pick before uh, Philly in 2017, ended up out here to leave, end up with with the Eagles, only to come back here to play a Super Bowl. I mean, it's crazy, really crazy. Hassan Redick with 16 sacks, great year for the Eagles, and I'm sure we'll uh, be in the middle of everything this coming Sunday, this show today, our famous Friday show, is just jam-packed. We have four guests today, including, in just a little bit, actor Scott Bayo from Happy Days, Charles in Charge. He's part of the To the Rescue 2023 Puppathon this coming Sunday. Tamron Hall, TV host, journalist, author, a seasoned veteran in all of those things. We're talking about the upcoming season of Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall on Court TV. And Greg Laurie from A New Beginning be with us for a good chunk of the hour talking about the Jesus Revolution film, which we have a contest going for right now. Plus, now that's punny to cap all of that off. Batting leadoff, though, having said all of that, from the Philadelphia Inquirer, Earl Hopkins joining us. How you doing, Earl? I'm good, Tim. How you doing? Good. We want to talk about SneakerCon, which is a piece you worked on this week. But uh, tell us a bit about your you know, day-to-day at the Inquirer and you know, kind of your backstory to being there. Yeah, so I recently moved to Philadelphia about a week ago, actually. I was working in Austin as a Austin culture reporter. And so I had this opportunity to work at the Inquirer to do something similar, um, more of a dive in the arts, entertainment, and culture space. And I've been enjoying it the last couple weeks ever since. So, yeah, it's been amazing. That's great. Welcome to town. Can you be an Eagles fan that fast? I mean, you kind of need to be, I think, a little bit. (laughs) I consider myself an adopted son of Eagles fandom now. Like, I have no choice because Philadelphians haven't allowed me to be a Browns fan as much as I'm accustomed to. So 
I'm an unofficial Eagles fan now, especially with Sunday coming around. That's funny. My pastor is a, a Browns fan. He lived out there, worked out there for a while. He's an Eagles fan too. But uh, he had a lot of sermons on, you know, examples for when you know misery when things don't go right for a lot of years. It was kind of funny. <laughs> So anyhow, uh, but you cover Philly's uh, arts and entertainment scene now. And one of the biggest things coming right as soon as you're in town is SneakerCon. What do you know about SneakerCon? And, and just tell us a bit about your piece. Yeah, so SneakerCon has been around since 2009, but this is the first time it will actually be in Philadelphia. And so it's set to open up tomorrow, Saturday at noon, and will be open to seven. And basically just all the rarest sneakers you could find. It's like a haven for sneakerheads across the region from anything from Nike Dunks, Jordans, Yeezys, everything. Um, it's like paradise for those that are like enthralled in that hype beast culture. Yeah. Um, and I think it'll be a, a great event. Do you know much about it yourself in, in terms of that world? I'm, I'm a baseball card collector and other sports and memorabilia, but baseball cards was the thing for me growing up, opening packs with my mom, collecting sets, going to conventions for cards and occasional related memorabilia. Uh, so I don't know a lot about, but this sounds like this is like, like you're saying, these are for people who really know their sneakers, who love them, who collect them, who trade them. Cause I understand that's an option when you're there too. Yeah. So they actually encourage people that are going to bring as many sneakers as they want from their own collection. So they can sell trade um, and do other various things, even show them off. I'm not somebody that's into sneakers really like that. I'm, I keep my rotation within three to four shoes a week. You know what I mean? So yes. this is a little outside my realm, but I know me as a fan of that type of culture, you know, I can admire, you know, from the sidelines, you That's, know, but it'll yeah. be, a, it'll really be a dope event. I'm the same thing with, uh, yeah, I have a pair that I wear when I'm cutting the lawn cause they've, they've worn out and they're on their way out. <laughs> but as long as they stay on my feet and then I have the newer ones and then ones in the middle. So I'm, I'm with you and I have one pair of running shoes, which, are curiously unused. I need to get back out there. So that's funny. Um, I understand there's a lot of other aspects to sneaker con. I think this uh, guy, Ben kicks is going to be there. He made like a million dollars or so when he was in his teens, uh, starting off doing uh, sneakers and there's going to be a bunch of vendors and other things going on, but you could also go just to buy something for yourself. You might see something you like. Yes. You can go ahead, pick up, you know, whatever shoes catch your eye, and you can actually, with the vendors that will be present, you can actually kind of do a little bit of negotiating, too. So if you feel like a price is too high, you can try to, like, negotiate them down to something that fits your, you know, what you're going for. Um, and they have authenticators there to ensure, like, every shoe you, you know, buy, sell, trade, what have you, is official. It's not any counterfeit, you know, shoe exchanges happening. Um, and so I think that'll be a great aspect of it, too. That sounds great. Earl Hopkins with the Philadelphia Inquirer, our guest today on the Tim DeMoss Show and WFIL, talking about a piece he did this week on SneakerCon, which is tomorrow at the PA Convention Center. Uh, just getting back to your day-to-day, new to town and getting your feet on, do you, do you have a, a established schedule yet in terms of how often you'll be putting pieces out and you know for future reference as far as folks looking for your work? So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a, a, you know, a number to pinpoint, but I can say if, you're, if you have any cool events happening – um, or any news in general, feel free to reach me um, via email. It's listed on the Inquirer website. You'll find me in the uh, directory. Okay. Um, and I'm always open to stories revolving around just arts, culture, music, fashion, whatever you know seems of interest. I'm always willing to hear it out. That sounds great. Earl, it's nice to make your acquaintance again. Welcome to town, and hopefully we'll get a chance to chat again soon. Absolutely, Tim. Take care. All right. Earl Hopkins with the Philadelphia Inquirer. Like the, what do you have to say there, Victoria? Should be a fun thing tomorrow. Yeah, I thought it, was, we thought it was very cool. And it seems like a fun event, you know. I'm, I'm passionate about shoes. Not not just sneakers, number one, but yeah, all kinds it, of footwear. it seems like a cool thing. Yeah, all kinds of footwear. I'm wearing, do you see my shoes? I got, look at these green guys. <laughs> my wife bought these for me for Christmas. Those are cool. Now I've pulled a muscle. But Those anyhow, are sneakers. They're, they're like a green suede and they fit the Super Bowl motif. We have a really packed day today, and we're going to keep right on rolling. Uh, joining us, I guess you will know if you watched Happy Days growing up, Charles in Charge, Joni Loves Chachi, talking about Scott Bayo on the program. How you doing, Scott? Good, Tim. Good day. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks for taking a moment to chat. Of course, the main course around here, especially Philly, is the Super Bowl, but there's another pretty big deal happening prior to that. Talk about the uh, Rescue Puppathon 2023. Well, it'll be on the Great American Family Network from noon to 4 Eastern time, so figure out what area you're in. Yeah. And it's a telethon for 
uh, raising money for dogs, rescue dogs, and last chance dogs, which are which is a very sad situation. And also, the money that we raise will help veterans who are in trouble hmm. uh, become trainers for companion and service dogs. And that's the gist of it. And there'll be a lot of cool people coming down. We've got uh, Mariel Hemingway, Allison Eastwood, uh, G.W. Bailey, Don Dierico, uh Roger Clemens. I think um, Spud Webb is going to be there. I'm hoping Kelsey Grammer will come down. Really? And John O'Hurl. I'm not sure if they're going to make it or not, but hopefully they will because they're traveling right now, but they'll try to get there. And it's just going to be, it's going to be a telethon to, to raise awareness and, and help rescue dogs and to also help you know the bravest among us the veterans in our country what drew you into want to be part of the rescue puppathon i'm a big dog lover hmm. and i'm a big veteran lover so and i'm a i'm a big proponent of the military and supporter of the military yeah uh, it is a it is a calling and a job that i don't think i have the capacity to uh do but others do and I respect them immensely, and um, and I and I wanted to help. You're going to be co-hosting, right, along with uh, Tommy from To the Rescue and Mariel Hemingway. You mentioned so the, you guys just uh, have you talked ahead of time where this is all going, or what, just share about your role a bit too. Well, it's kind of I haven't kind of locked everything down yet, but it'll be interviews, and I'm sure I'll pop in and out. Yeah, and uh, and Mariel will pop in, Tommy will pop in and out, and there'll be video clips, and there'll be. There's some kind of game show aspect to it. And, and so, you know, it's, I don't know if you've ever been around a telethon. It's a very, very fluid situation. Sure. I mean, it changes in, in, the, in the blink of an eye, so you have to roll with it. And that's what's going to be fun about it for me, along with helping uh, the cause. Yeah. And it's kind of neat when you're rattling off the different folks who may, you know, be involved uh, this Sunday it kind of underscores the widespread appreciation, right, of the work that's being done, that no matter what walk of life you're from, everyone can appreciate, potentially, you know, appreciate the dogs part of it and also yeah. the veterans part. Yes, I, I agree 100%. So I think I think it'll do well, and I hope people tune in, and um, I believe in this. So I'm just, I'm, I'm glad you had had us on, and, you know, hopefully you'll watch and you'll, Either you can you can adopt a dog. You can go on the puppathon puppathon TV now and donate. Also, I think you can also adopt a dog now, okay. and you can adopt you can adopt a dog that's actually on the television. That's great. That's great stuff, Scott. One last quick question for you. In years past, I've had the privilege of chatting with Marion Ross and Henry Winkler, both very gracious guests, and you have been too. Just curious, what it was like working together, and things that you helped each other with as you were working together back in the day on Happy Days. It was it was wonderful. I owe a lot to Henry Winkler. Taught me a lot, and I, I he took me under his wing early on. Marion Ross is Mrs. Cunningham. She she lives across the street from me in California, and uh, just wonder wonderful wonderful people. And that show every day was a picnic. <laughs> she said that you guys had a softball team too. I think did you play on the team? We did it. We played in a lot of major league ballparks. It was a lot of fun. That's really cool. Scott Bayer, thank you so much again for taking time. And best place for folks to keep up with you, I understand, is Twitter. Is that right? Yeah, if you want. Okay. <laughs> well, just in case, because you do a lot of other things, too, I'm sure. But, again, this coming Sunday, the To the Rescue, Papathon 2023, greatamericanfamily.com. Folks can find out more there as well. Thanks again, and God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. That's funny. Isn't he? You can follow him on Twitter. Yeah, if you want. <laughs> most, yeah, if you kind of want to. <laughs> most people are so... Like, uh, please follow me. Subscribe. He's like, yeah, if you want. Yeah. That's uh, Scott Bayo from Happy Days, Charles in Charge, Joni Left Chachi, and the To the Rescue Papathon 2023, noon to four this Sunday on Great American Family. Earl Hopkins from the Acquire before that, talking about Sneaker Con, which is tomorrow, noon to seven at the Convention Center. That's just the beginning. Tamron Hall, Joni is next, and Greg Laurie from A New Beginning, all on the way. Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Don't forget, among other things, if you tool around our website, WFIL.com, one thing you'll find is the Deeper Faith Mediterranean Cruise, which is coming up this August and early September with Alistair Begg from Truth for Life, teaching from God's Word, amazing food and accommodations, stopping in Rome, Malta, Greece, all kinds of places, a wonderful opportunity. It's coming soon. Find out more, get yourself on board by clicking the Deeper Faith Mediterranean Cruise banner at WFIL.com. Live and local. 
It's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the app, you're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for tuning in. Our next guest on our famous Friday show has done all kinds of uh, work in TV, journalism, and she's an author. She's worked for Fox and NBC, MSNBC, been on the Today Show, many other things. She's a daytime Emmy Award-winning TV host, her own program, and also with Court TV uh, on there with her own program. Bring on board Tamron Hall. Cameron, how you doing? I'm good, Tim. How are you? Wonderful. So we want to talk about your show, but we have to get one piece of important business out of the way first, which is... Philadelphia Eagle. Thank Philadelphia you. Philadelphia Eagle. <laughs> Philadelphia Eagle. <laughs> Did I mention Philadelphia Eagle? All right. We're on the same page. You have roots here, right? You went to Temple. I went to Temple University. I went to Temple University. I'm on the board of trustees and... I still spend a lot of time in Philly. There's no way I could step in North Philadelphia and not answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) Good. That's great. So you have a rooting interest, at least, that as well. I do. I do. (laughs) That's great. Well, broadcast journalism was your thing. Was that something from when you were like a little girl, you were interested in that world, or did it come later later for you in college? You know what? It's crazy. I think growing up early on, I thought I was going to be Johnny Carson. I love Johnny Carson. I watched Johnny Carson and Mike Douglas and Dinosaur. I'm old enough to remember when those shows were on. And so I always loved that kind of variety format. And then I just, uh, at some point in my life, very early on, I think, I joined up with a couple of writing clubs as a teenager. And ultimately, that led me to Temple University, where I majored in broadcast journalism. And I, through just my curiosity about people and about life, it seemed like journalism was the perfect fit for me to really dive into what's natural to me. You know, they say, find what it is you love. And I think I found that once I realized I couldn't be Johnny Carson, that (laughs) I could be somewhere like a Nancy Drew, (laughs) but just reporting. And it became uh, my true love. And it is my true love. I'm living a dream. And then ultimately I ended up with the talk show, the daytime talk show that allows me to kind of mix in the Johnny Carson, the Mike Douglas, also with the journalist Tamron Hall. So it's it's the best of both worlds. And now we have someone they knew in in its second season. That's that's great. And I I know because your history of all the different things you've done, also the diverse uh, background from reporting to the types of reporting to anchoring. Uh, In fact, we have a common thing also, my family uh, family in Chicago, in Northbrook. Um, I think you were there for quite a long time, right? As part of a... 10 years. I was, I was, I reported there for 10 years and went on to anchor uh, Fox News in the morning, the local Fox station uh, morning variety show. At the time, we kind of was like a uh, Kelly and uh, Michael or Kelly and Ryan type show. Yeah. And then I uh, I did that. And then I was lucky enough to go to the Today Show for 10 years and, and now my own show. And then in the last year, Court TV approached me um, about hosting and, and participating in producing this new show, Someone They Knew. And I was so intrigued by the premise. Yeah, so so go ahead and share some of that, like how, including how you go about presenting the show. Se- season two is coming up soon. Yeah, season season two, February nineteenth, and you know what we do with this show is is we really lean in on the resources of Court TV. They've been covering some of the biggest cases for years. Uh, most recently, I mean, we were all glued to the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case, and so we were able to use their archives and what they were able to. Um, pulled together for some of these cases. So we had like interrogation video and interviews with the people directly affected. So while I tee up the story, you hear the story from those closest to it. So that's detectives and DAs and defense attorneys, but most importantly, obviously family members and those intimately associated with these stories. But the common thread and why I think we are fortunate enough to have a second season is the thinking. It's someone that the victims knew. And I think that hits to the gut of us all. You know, you, we all wonder at some point. You might have a frenemy or you might fall out or defriend somebody on Facebook. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we certainly hope that no one in our lives would turn so sinister. But unfortunately, it happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and one other question about that. You present one or two cases. How does it work in terms of uh, each each episode? We have... Uh, 24 cases, and we do an entire case the hour. Okay. And we take you on the journey because it is storytelling. It is, um, as I said, through the lens 
of the individuals who are part of it. So we combine the archives and the court coverage and the news coverage with the current and compelling interviews of those impacted. So it's a story arc. We are taking you on this journey, and we want you to uh, wonder, in some cases, if justice was carried out. There was an acquittal in one of the cases uh, that we present this season um, of of an individual that had been convicted. There's another case um, that had gone decades unsolved that involved a a child. He was 15 when he was abducted and, and found killed. And so what we want is for the person watching to put themselves in the position of the investigator. For example, if you're in the interrogation room, would you have been able to tell if that person by their behavior was telling the truth or not, or if they were hiding something? One of the cases that um, I couldn't shake after um, reading the research and, and putting this case together was a, a woman whose husband was a police officer. He died. Her boyfriend, who was a firefighter, ends up dying, and they all have flu-like symptoms. And the breaking down of this case and where it takes us, is, it's just, hmm. I couldn't stop watching. I couldn't stop reading about it. Tamara, uh, I understand you lost your sister and I uh, about 10 years ago, and I wonder how that affects your your, the way you present what you do and why you present it, because it's a personal thing for sure. Some people want to talk about that. Some people want yeah. to keep it quieter or, or only with certain people. I almost didn't want to ask you about it, but in a way, some people say, yes, you should, right? Well, yeah, but thank you for asking. Yeah, no, I'm sorry if you lost too. I appreciate it. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate you asking and being so thoughtful and asking to be by the way, because, you know, listen, when this premise of the show, someone they knew in my sister's uh, unsolved death, murder, um, the detectives instantly said, it's someone she knows, but we don't have the evidence to prove that it's this particular individual. Yeah. And from my point of view, I understand the desire to have justice. I understand trying to process betrayal, how someone that knew her could do that to her. And I, I keep that front of mind. That's my North Star when I am doing any of these stories, because I, I would never want to contribute to the pain of someone's family or for them to believe that here's another show that's misrepresenting what happened. And so that's why we use, you know, people in their own words. We use court documents. We have court footage and video and body cam, whatever it is, to completely and wholly tell that story so that the viewer is hearing it through as much first-person first person information that we could provide. Yeah. Yeah, if anyone would know, you would. That's why I was figuring you can take that extra level to treating things well and fairly and with respect and all that. So yeah, that's yeah. our that's our goal, and that's what Court TV does so well. I mean, it's it's not to um, begrudge uh, any other shows or how other people do it, but they have the ability through their um, huge infrastructure of covering court cases to really help support a show like this that is so dependent on what really happened versus someone paraphrasing or reenacting what happened. Tamara, can I ask you one other quick question? Do you mind? Sure. Uh, just um, your role on the on, uh, when you co-hosted uh, Today for several years, that was also about 10 years ago, uh, and at the time, yeah. becoming the first African-American co-anchor, did that mean a lot to you? And I don't want to assume anything, because maybe you also just want to be known for, the, I, I just do this work, and I don't want to be known one way or the yeah. other, because, you know what I mean? So I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I was curious. Yeah. No, you know what? I yeah. think... I think it can be both. I think that I don't. I should. I don't choose, right? Because at the end of the day, my father uh, was in the military for 30 years, but he was also a black man in the military in the early 1950s, and recognized uh, the importance of that as well. So for me, I am both. I am um, the first black woman to ever host the Today Show, but I hope that I was an unforgettable talent. That when I left people then supported the next thing that I did, which right. is my daytime talk show. I think you can be both. I think that I am an unapologetic Southerner from a small country town who is also a woman who is also a black woman. Right. I'm also unapologetic Temple University graduate. <laughs> so yes. you know, it's all a part of my story. So I tell people, if you let people embrace who they are, then I'm able to embrace who I am. And one of the things that I love so much about having lived in Philadelphia and Chicago, these cities that were built on neighborhoods and culture, I learned so much about, you know, being a Polish-American when I lived in Chicago, 
I learned so much working for Joe Frazier and Burt Watson in South Philly Hmm. about what it means. So I think if you allow people to be who they are and say, you can be an unapologetic, you know, Italian immigrant, you know, second generation, and this is your culture of food, and these are your traditions, and I celebrate that with you, that's not me asking you to lean out of it. I'm saying, let me lean into being a country little southern black girl who achieves something, and it all be a part of our story. That's the best of who we are. I love cities like Philly and Chicago because it truly is steeped in the traditions and cultures of people. And the best of who I am is because I was able to live in places like that that didn't say, you have to pick and choose because I want to see your whole story. Yeah. I want to know where your grandma came from. I want to know their life, their story. I want to know it all and not dissect you by one or the other and still assume that you're good at what you do. Absolutely. I love the way I love the way you put it and I don't want to belabor it. So, but I think it's everything you just said was was great. I mean, because I think that way too. I'm a Christian, but I also hope that people know me for that, but I need to be excellent at what I do. My, that's my goal. Uh, so, I'm a broadcaster who is a Christian who will speak from that point of view in, in that in that topic, yeah. right? Uh, but I want to know I tell people that all the time. Yeah. You know, I think it's a it's a terrible assumption to believe that for example, when people say diversity inclusion, that somehow you're asking that people who are not qualified be let in the room. There, right. there. You can be uh, diverse, and you can say we want women and we want people from all walks of life. One of the things um, that I used to say when I walked in the newsroom, especially when I came to New York, I felt like everyone was from you know Harvard and had grown up in the same neighborhood in the same way. I think diversity means socioeconomically as well. You know, you have yeah. to have a wide range of geography, a wide range of people. When I moved to Philadelphia. People thought my dad, they thought we were all like the, the TV show Dallas. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not how it goes. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, so I think we're the best of all of our journeys is when we let people embrace their culture, their heritage, and then we say, bring your A game. Tamron, I love talking to you. Thank you so much for taking time. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, congratulations on season two of Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall and Court TV. And uh, God bless you. Have a great weekend. Go Eagles. God bless you as well, and God bless the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Take care now. Bye-bye. Stanford Hall, daytime Emmy Award-winning TV host, journalist, author on our fine broadcast today. Thanks for tuning in. Quick break. Greg Laurie with a new beginning. Joining us next, talk about the Jesus Revolution movie and more. It's Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email Timmy D at WFIL.com. It's 431, the Tim DeMoss Show, and we are glad to bring on board the one and only Pastor Greg Laurie from A New Beginning on our broadcast. How you doing? Tim, I'm great. How are you doing there in Philly? Lovely. We're getting ready for a Super Bowl, you know? Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> so, And we're also getting ready for the release of Jesus Revolution, the film part of it. Of course, the book has been out. Originally, you wrote the book a few years back. Is that right? I did, yes, a number of years ago, actually. Okay. And then the film itself, Jesus' Revolution, How God Transformed an Unlikely Generation and How He Can Do It Again Today, certainly speaks to the message of the film. So take the floor, if you would, a little bit, and just talk about the film and what it's like to go from the book part, obviously, to on the screen. Right. Well, the book I wrote with Ellen Vaughn, an excellent writer, and we told the story of what happened in the last great spiritual awakening in America. So it gives you the backdrop of the times, a lot of detail, but the film's different. It's a feature film. It's not a documentary, and it's based on the story of my life and my wife Kathy's life, how we met. So it's a love story between two young people in their teens still, and then it's a story about how two unlikely people came together, an older pastor with a struggling church named Chuck Smith, a hippie evangelist named Lonnie Frisbee, and and so the whole counterculture thing was happening, and Chuck really wanted nothing to do with these young kids. He thought they all needed to get a haircut and get a job. And <laughs> But his wife, Kay, had a heart and a burden for them, and so Chuck met this hippie evangelist named Lonnie Frisbee, and it was like nitro met glycerin. It was this explosion as a result that happened in Chuck's church, and I came to Christ a few months after they met, 
and the revival was happening at Calvary Chapel, and then I walked right in the middle of it. So it tells the story of all these people, and this movie has a lot of twists and turns and surprises. It's not your typical Christian movie. I think there's more gospel in it than any Christian movie I've ever said, but there's less cliches in it, Mm. and it feels more like real life. And uh, and I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised I think they'll laugh out loud. There's quite a bit of comedy in it. Uh, they'll, I think they'll shed a tear or two. There's some very moving moments. And as I said, there's, there's the gospel in it where I think people could watch this film and make a commitment to Christ as a result of seeing it. So I'm hoping that my Christian friends out there that are listening will buy two tickets, one for themselves and one for a friend who's not a Christian. It opens on February 22nd, kind of a sneak opening, sneak peek, if you will, and then officially on February 24th at a theater near you. Yeah, I, I, read, I actually Googled it a little bit, and it really is at a bunch of theaters already scheduled for that 22nd of February showing. So that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, JesusRevolutionMovie.com online, too. Uh, how um, easy it's or— It's JesusRevolution.movie. .movie. Okay, that's right. Yes. Um, how easy or hard might it be to, quote-unquote, follow the story? Because there really is a lot going on, including spiritually, culturally, and all of that. Oh, it's very easy to follow okay. because the filmmaker, John Irwin— you know, he just did a masterful job of directing this. And you're on a ride. You know, you're on the ride of of your life, of the lives of other people, of my life, of my tumultuous childhood with my mother who was married and divorced seven times and was an alcoholic and how I had to kind of take care of her. I was like more the adult in the relationship than the ride of Kathy's life. Uh, my wife-to-be, who was searching for meaning and purpose through drugs and other things and saw her sister almost overdose on drugs. And then Chuck Smith, the struggling pastor, trying to figure out, you know, how to see his church grow. And then Lonnie Frisbee, this unlikely pair. So all these stories are woven together in a beautiful and powerful way. And I think that people are going to—I think you're going to be entertained, okay? This is—it's not like a sermon. It's an it's an entertaining film, but it has a, so much truth in it. And because of this, I think it will disarm people. I think Christians, and I know this for a fact because so many people have seen it and test audiences, are very moved by this. And it causes them to pray, Lord, we want to see a revival in our generation. But I also find it connects really powerfully with younger people and even non-believers. And so it shows a loving church. It shows young people coming to Christ and wanting to reach out with this message. And and it's about Jesus people. You know, we need Jesus people today. Uh, So often Christians are known for what they're against rather than what they're for. And so this is a powerful, relevant message for today's world. Yeah, and that's a great clarification because I think what you're saying is obviously you want the historical part to match and the set looks beautiful. From the trailers I've seen, like it's amazing how authentic it looks, but it really isn't just about what happened back then. It's a very strong message for now, maybe needed more than ever. Well, I think so because I think that, you know, I'm 70 now. So I look back in all the decades and there's no decade that is more closely like the time we're living in now than than the late 60s, early 70s, not the 80s, not the 90s, not the early 2000s. There's a parallel between these two times. And uh, we see so many of the issues that we were facing being faced by young people today. And so I think that it's going to feel very current. It's not like a time capsule. It's not like, oh, that just feels old and dated. It feels like this could be happening right now. The Sheep Without a Shepherd scene, uh, which I saw a trailer for a little bit of a clip, yeah. was very powerful. Really yeah. was. I, I mean, I, I don't know if you have any particular parts of the film that really also gripped you. Of course, you, it's your, about your life, but is there any particular part of the film that really or surprised you a little bit, how translated from the book to the screen? Yeah, I would say the scene when my character is baptized, that's right at the halfway point of the film. And you're following this young man, Greg, and his struggles, and now he's closed off from the world and and is looking for meaning and purpose, looking for love, really. And then he's exposed to the gospel, and he believes, and then he's baptized. And and the scene, the way John Irwin filmed it, John's the director, 
And when you see Greg go in that water, there's some. it's just so powerful. And many people feel it's the most powerful moment in the entire film. And I think, that, you know, it's hard to portray conversion on a screen. And, and when we were working on this film, I said, John, we've got to do something that no one has done before with showing what it's like for a person to accept Jesus. We've got to get the language right. We've got to get the look right. Because every time I see it, I always feel like it's a little off. And I really feel the way this was done, it feels very authentic, very real, as though you're experiencing a real event. And I think God was really at work on that day we were shooting those baptism scenes because a lot of the people who are in the film, they're extras, right? Hmm. They come and they play the role of a person being baptized. A number of them were actually accepting Christ and getting baptized for real. And I think what was happening on that day translates into the film, and that's why it feels so like this is happening. This isn't just acting. That's amazing. That really is amazing. If you're just tuning in, Greg Laurie is with us from uh, his senior pastor, Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California. And of course, you'll know him from A New Beginning on WFIL, which airs at 10 each weekday morning. Been on with us for almost three decades, actually. 1994 was the first year mm-hmm. of Greg, <laughs> Greg and A New Beginning being on the air with us. So Joel Courtney plays you, right? Uh, your character. Yeah. Uh, did you guys, I'm guessing there was some good conversation for him to study you and you to give him the real real-time feedback about this is what it was like for me and all that? Yeah, absolutely. I spent a lot of time with Joe Courtney and and with uh, Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus on The Chosen. He's yeah. playing the role of Lonnie because I knew Lonnie very well. And then, of course, with Kelsey Grammer and playing the role of Chuck Smith. And Kathy, my wife, spent time with Anna Grace Barlow, who plays her in the film. And then Kimberly Williams-Paisley plays the role of my mother. So I was able to really tell them give them details, right, Yeah. Uh, for their performances. Because actors, you know, they're like sponges. They absorb information, and then they run it through their skill set of acting and, and really in many ways becoming that person they're portraying. And I was so impressed with what these actors did with these roles and how real they made it feel. And there were times when I was watching it uh, being shot in Alabama and in California, I felt like I was having to use the 60s term, a flashback. It was like, oh, wow, this feels so much like it was. I bet. That must be crazy. to. But then, you know, obviously it's it's hitting, you know, and that's exactly the, the feeling you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> Something. Uh, just one thing that's also kind of fun, uh, in addition to the 22nd of February, uh, Jesus Revolution, the movie having that soft opening, and then the 24th of February, even, even wider spread. Um, if folks yeah. are NASCAR fans, I understand they're going to if they're watching on Fox, they may actually see uh, Jeffrey Earnhardt's car with the with the Jesus Revolution car. That's right. So <laughs> Jeffrey Earnhardt, he's uh, driving. It's for Forever Lawn, a company that makes AstroTurf. Okay. And so they've generously allowed us to put our Jesus Revolution movie graphics on the car. So it's a Jesus Revolution car, <laughs> and it looks super cool. And uh, I posted about it on my social media. People follow me. But I, I hope Jeffrey wins, you know, but but it'll <laughs> right. be out there and people can see it for themselves. A good little reminder that the film is coming out. Let me see a word about February 22nd. Yeah. So that particular night, we filmed an eight-minute presentation of the gospel that is unique to that night only. So if you were to get tickets to go see it on February 22nd, you can know that the gospel would be presented complete with a prayer, and a person could pray and accept Christ into their life. So that is the perfect night to take a non-believer to. Okay. Uh, and if you can't make it, then go by all means February 24th and on. It's going to be released in 2,700 theater, 2, theaters across the United States. But, but that February 22nd date would be a great night to take someone who doesn't know Christ yet to the movie with you, and I think you might see them accept the Lord. Just to clarify, that would also follow the credits, or at what point would that be shown? Do you know? Yeah, I would. right after the credits roll, that part would come on the screen. So don't get up and go anywhere. <laughs> right, don't go don't anywhere. Go away. <laughs> right. What are, right. Your, what are your main hopes personally, when you think about all the work that went into this for, I guess it's been a number of years, we, you know, what is your, when you step back, a big picture view of this, what is your, your heart's cry for this film? Well, I would say two things. I would hope that it would inspire a generation to say, Lord, do it again. You know, in Scripture we read, will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice 
in you. And I, I've had many people say this. We've shown it to test audiences, thousands of people at this point. And, and I, this is the message you're here. They're saying, we want to see this again. You know, it's been said, the fame of revival spreads the flame of revival. So as we're telling a true revival story, I think it resonates. And it's very, you know, you get really emotionally connected to these characters. And so you're kind of on the journey with them, feeling it for yourself. And so I'm praying that people would say, we want to see a spiritual awakening again. And number two, I'm praying that people will accept Christ. This is one of the most, how do I put this? It's not your typical Christian movie. It's not tidy. It's not perfect. It shows flawed people being changed by Christ. It shows our shortcomings, our weaknesses, but it also has very strong gospel moments in it where I think there's enough in this story on the screen where a person can understand how to accept Christ, but it's not heavy-handed, and it doesn't feel preachy, because it's a story. It's a true story. So it's done artistically, but also done powerfully. And there's a moment in the film where Greg prays, you know, Joe Courtney playing me, prays and asks Christ to come into his life, and it's a powerful, genuine moment and I think will really resonate with people watching it. That's fantastic. Uh, Greg Laurie, our guest today on the Tim DeMoss Show, WFIL Philadelphia. Of course, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California, and with A New Beginning, which is weekday mornings at 10 on WFIL, several times over the weekend, too. Written 70-plus books and a bunch of films, and including Jesus' Revolution. Have you, over the years, uh, when I think about the, all the things you've, you know, as, and as the world has expanded and changed, how, how have you uh, found trying to keep the main thing the main thing, despite having all the new places to put it? It's a, pl- it's a blessing, I'm sure, but also probably a challenge to make sure you stay fresh and connected to, with the Lord. Yeah, you know, the message never changes, but culture changes. Uh, sometimes the questions people ask are changing. So I think sometimes preachers are answering questions no one is asking. And we're not answering the ones that are being asked. So I tried to stay connected to culture, understand what's happening around me, and then show the power and relevance of the gospel. My job is not to make the gospel relevant. The gospel is relevant. It always will be relevant. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So my job, if you will, is to let the lion out of the cage. It's just to show how Christ can still change lives. And I think this movie is a great tool to tell the story in a new way, you know, because there's something about a film that disarms us and and moves us in a different way than a sermon will. And I mean, I spend my life writing and delivering sermons, and obviously I'm a believer in that. That's what we do at our radio broadcast there in your station, you know, all the time. But having said that, There's something about art, and I I like to call it weaponized art. Hmm. And by that I mean it's beautiful, it's well done, it's uh, professional, but weaponized meaning the gospel is in it. And so this is a great new way to reach people. You know, we've, we were early adopter, we were early adopters of live streaming services back in the early 90s. And, and, but now here we are living in a new time. And I think a great new frontier for Christians to use is storytelling through film and using streaming platforms, using film outlets, theaters, etc., to tell our story. It's the equivalent of giving our testimony. And I think there's an audience that's so tired of, you know, all the films that have such horrible messages in them that are so destructive in so many ways, or just all the special effects and the CG. You just get tired of it, (laughs) and you want to just see a story that moves you. And that's what this film does. By the way, knowing how much you love uh, music, uh, we, you know, the books, I know we, we had you on, uh, I think we, we had the, the Lennon, uh, Dylan, Alice, Jesus book out not too long ago and yeah. other things like that. Uh, the, the music from this era, how, was it kind of fun? I mean, a fun time for you to also as an as- aspect, because music is super powerful, obviously, as far as the Jesus Revolution film goes. Yeah, the music plays a major role in this film. And, you know, you have to license this music. You can't just play it. Yeah. You, you have to get permissions. You have to pay fees and all that. So that was all done to the film company. But but I love it because I think it's great music. I mean, I like rock music. And I like, in particular, uh, you know, 60s rock music. <laughs> and so that's in the film. 
and it, and it really punctuates the moments and the scenes. So it really, you know, connects to the time. But it's funny because today so many young people are listening to that old music. They've even rediscovered vinyl. And you'll see kids running around today with, you know, Led Zeppelin T-shirts, Rolling Stones, The Who, Pink Floyd, The Beatles, etc. So it's like a whole generation has rediscovered that music. So that's why I think the film has sort of a current feel to it. Yeah, that's great. I want to respect your time. I just wanted to ask you, because we are featuring a a new beginning all during the month of March, if you just take a second when you look back with regard to the path, uh, the radio aspect, if you timelined it, uh, what, what led to there being a radio ministry in the first place? Well, I think when we started out doing radio, we just wanted to take what we had, teaching the Word of God, seeing it change lives to a broader audience. And we've been so blessed over the years to see it expand to, you know, well over a thousand stations across the world. And, you know, I get the the letters or the emails or comments on my social media pages of people who tell me how their lives were changed listening to the radio. You know, radio is a very intimate medium. Um, it's different than television. It's different than looking at things on your phone. And I feel like you you develop a relationship with your listener, and I love it. I, I'm a huge fan of Christian radio, and so I listen to it all the time, and I believe that what we're offering is unique in that, you know, there's a lot of great Bible teaching programs on the air right now on your station and other stations. But what we offer that maybe is a little bit unique is we give gospel invitations and we throw the net, where we invite people to come to Christ. And, you know, we have thousands of people respond to those invitations every year. Because, you know, I've read a stat that 25% plus of the listeners to Christian radio are non-Christians. It's like they're eavesdropping on our conversation. So I feel like, hey, let's invite them to Christ. And so we've been pretty proactive with that, and we've seen great response. And, And so I hope that the folks that are listening now will understand that a new beginning can be a tool that they can use to reach out to non-believers, as well as something they can listen to for their own spiritual benefit. Amen. If I can uh, wrap with this little quick tri- tri- trio of questions. One is encouragement for pastors. One is a life verse, if you have a life verse. And how, also, thirdly, how people can pray for you. Oh, thank you. Okay, well, to pastors, I would say, you know, what you do is so important, being a shepherd over a flock. And it's so often unappreciated or underappreciated. And I think of the passage that says, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. So don't give up. Hang in there. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, you do what you do for the Lord. We serve God by serving His people. So thank you for what you do, and please keep doing it. You are needed now more than ever. I would say a life verse would be, I have many. A lot of it depends on what my situation is. But (laughs) when I often default to is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, where God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And I love that verse because God says, I'm thinking about you. And I'm not having a single thought about you. I have many thoughts about you. But we think, well, well what kind of thoughts are they? <laughs> are they <laughs> negative thoughts? No, God says to give you a future and a hope. God is in control of your life and he will guide you through your life. And you need to trust in that and know that even when things don't make sense in life, he can cause all things to work together for good to those that love him. Amen. And pray for you. So How can people pray to was. pray for you? How oh. can people pray for you? Well, you know, I think people can pray for me that, that God will continue to guide me and show me what to do, perhaps what not to do. Uh, opportunities open up. You want to be responsive and uh, pray that the Lord gives me his wisdom, that he empowers me with his spirit, and that whatever good comes out of my life will be for his glory. Amen. Lord, I just want to pray right now for Pastor Greg. I thank you for him and for taking his taking time today. Pray you'd refresh him and his marriage and his family and would, uh, the things he just mentioned also, you'd bring those to fruition too for your glory and for your blessing on this Jesus Revolution film too. Amen. 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 Thank you. It's my privilege to talk to you. Thank you for taking time today. God bless you. God bless you too. Bye now. Pastor Greg Laurie from A New Beginning on the Tim DeMoss Show. Quick break on the way next. Now that's punny. WFIL. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM560 WFIL and WFIL.com. 
Don't forget to take our fun three-question big game survey on our homepage. Who's going to win the game Sunday? What will the score be? And what's your favorite snack or party food? We're giving out gift cards randomly, regardless of the accuracy of your prediction. And a grand prize out to the person who is most accurate. Check it out right on our homepage, Big Game Survey at WFIL.com. Capping up our show with Now That's Punny. Doug, how you doing? I'm doing well. I see you have some peanut butter uh, pretzels over there. I see you're burning a hole right through them. Yeah, I see you're not sharing. Mm, that's my modus operandi. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of not sharing happening now. What's wrong with my microphone? It's not loud. It's <clears> not. Well, <throat> that's probably just as well. <laughs> You know, Doug, I had a talk with our general manager, Lorenzo, this week. And uh, based upon what he told me, I'm thinking I have this job at FIL because of my motivational skills. Because he said everyone tells him they have to work twice as hard when I'm around. That's true. (laughs) You know, that's some serious influence. By the way, when I had an audience with Lorenzo, because he's a busy guy, I took the time to ask him if I could sleep in and come in late on Monday. And he said, dream on. Which I thought was very nice of him. I think you uh, misunderstood him. Oh. You know, some schools are doing that. They have a, they've already doing a two-hour delay. For the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. So people, one way or the other, they can get themselves in on time. Sure, you'll take advantage of that. You know, Doug, some people like to paddle in the front of a canoe. Others like to paddle in the back of the canoe. I can do either or. Doug, how did the girl lamb know that the boy lamb asking her out on a date was shy? Boy lamb, girl lamb, shy. Uh, Because he asked her sheepishly. (laughs) A girl lamb is a you and a boy lamb is a ram, but that really had nothing to do with it. I just had to separate them. So anyhow, Mm -hmm. Doug, why are opera singers usually also good baseball players? I don't know. Because they're good at hitting different pitches. Oh. Yes. You have got to be kidding. It's true. Doug, a good friend of mine got engaged this week, but when he got down on one knee, the girl actually used pepper spray on him. Apparently, she wasn't rule of the rules of engagement. <laughs> she wouldn't have done that. <laughs> Doug, what's an ig? I-G. Uh, what's an ig? A pig without a pee? Well, that and an Eskimo's house that has no restroom. (laughs) Big blue. (laughs) Doug, uh, we'll wrap this up, put it out of the misery. (laughs) Why do the sides of military ships from Denmark, Norway, and Sweden have barcodes on the outside? I have no idea. So when the ships come into port, they can Scandinavian. (laughs) (laughs) Scandinavia is those countries. And that'll do it for now. That's funny. Have a great weekend, everyone. Woo! E-A-G-L-E-S Eagle! Have a million dollar weekend. W-F-I-L. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.